Amen. Thank you again, Pastor Ricky, choir, praise team, for leading us in that time of worship. What a beautiful song, the Via Dolorosa. If you'll take your copy of God's Word, I hope that you have it. If you'll take it and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 25. You say, wait a minute, we're supposed to be in James. Well, if you remember last week, Pastor Jamie and I, we kind of, uh, we took a detour out of James just for a moment. Really just to, to have a conversation with you as First Baptist New Orleans of really to begin to think about what, what's expected of us. Especially even in a time of transition, a time that seems uncertain, there, there's some things that we need to remember as the body of Christ that, that God still expects of us and God still desires of us, regardless of who the under-shepherd might be at this church. I do believe the scriptures are very clear that God has expectations of every believer. That God has expectations of church members. And, and so what we wanted to do over, the, over last week and this week is just, to, just to, to serve as a reminder that even in the midst of what might seem uncertain, God is certain and God is sure. And, and his certainty in his word really is what we as, as his believers and his followers and, and, and as, as a part of the body of Christ that, that we must lean in on in these, in these what seem to be uncertain days. Last week, if you remember, Pastor Jamie really opened up Acts chapter 2 where we saw a, a picture of, of the early New Testament church and, and, and what it was that they were called to do and how, how they were willing to, to sacrifice on behalf of each other and, and give all that they had so that, so that the church as, as a whole could be, could be edified and, and lifted up. There's been some who've argued, well, was that, was that really descriptive or, or is it or is it prescriptive? Is it just describing what the church was? Or is it really prescribing what the church should be? Can I give the answer? Yes. Yes. Yes, it's a description of the early New Testament church. But hear me, church. That's exactly what, what we as the church today should, should strive for and look, look like. You keep reading through the book of Acts, you see that the early New Testament church, they, they made a lot of mistakes. I hadn't been here long, but I feel like this church has made mistakes. I feel like we, you, I, we as individuals, we've made mistakes. We understand that. that, that that's, uh, why? Because the church is made up of humans. It's made up of we who, yes, are believers who've been given a, a new heart and a new mind and new eyes. But, but listen, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that we won't, be, we won't still be tempted and we won't still struggle. And that, that's the reality. There's a big description of the early New Testament church. But if you look in Acts chapter 2, I believe it is a prescription of, of how we as the body of Christ should, should really lean in towards each other. How we as the body of Christ are called to be a people who are willing to, to give and to sacrifice and, 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 to, and to lift up each other more than we lift up ourselves. Hear me, if we can do that, if that can be our focus in these days ahead, I, I feel certain that, that we can remain as a church that brings glory to God. Though we may struggle, though we may stumble, though we may fall, though we may falter, we can be a people of God who brings glory to God because we're willing to think about others more than we think about ourselves. Along those same lines, we come to Matthew chapter 25. Still with this understanding of what we as believers should be today, let me ask you a question. 
Are you investing your life for Christ? Every aspect of your life. If, if I were to sit down just over a cup of coffee with you, just the two of us individually, and we were just to really, just, just let's get really personal with each other. And you have every right to ask me the same thing. And we, we were going back, could, if I ask you the question and you ask me the question, are, are you really investing your life for Christ? What would your answer be? Are you giving him all that you have so that, so that you might edify the church and evangelize the lost? Or, or do you realize that we as believers, we're, we're simply stewards of all of God's grace and everything that we have in this life is actually just a gift on loan from God himself? Are you living your life fully invested for Christ? Ask another way, are you faithfully serving Christ with all that he's given you. I think when we come to Matthew chapter 25, we see that there's a challenge here. The challenge for us as believers to, to live a, in, in faith-filled obedience while, while we're at the same time investing everything we have for God's kingdom. And as we really drill in on Matthew chapter 25, the challenge for us is, is as we're investing all these things, we're, we're joyfully waiting for the second coming of Christ. Knowing that Jesus is coming again, hear me church, should be motivation for us to put our hands to the plow and work harder today than we ever have before. Sometimes we as believers can sit around and twiddle our thumbs or maybe even rub our hands in anxiety waiting on what tomorrow is going to bring. Waiting on the next coming, on the second coming of Christ and, and anxiously and, and, and nervously and, and worriedly waiting and Jesus says, look, I'm coming again, but as you wait, I've got a job for you to do. Where do we see it? Matthew chapter 25, one of many places. If you'll take your copy of God's Word, and let's begin reading in verse 14. I'll ask you if you wouldn't mind standing in honor of reading God's Word. Matthew 25, verse 14. A parable of the Lord Jesus here, a story, a teaching story best way to say what a parable is. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey. He called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent, depending on each one's ability. Then he went on a journey. Immediately the man who had received five talents went, put them to work, and earned five more. In the same way, the man who two, with two earned two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached, presented five more talents, and said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I've earned five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Now listen, share your master's joy. The man with two talents also approached. He said, Master, you gave me two talents. See, I've earned two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Listen again, share your master's joy. The man who had received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. 
the irony. You're a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went off and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. His master replied to him, you evil, lazy servant. If you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers and I would have received my money back with interest when I returned. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this good-for-nothing servant into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I ask, as we dig into your word this morning, that, Lord, you would take the blinders off of our eyes. Lord, help us not to look at the person to our right or to our left. But, Lord, we ask... That you would give us your eyes, your heart, your wisdom and understanding to look within ourselves. Lord, I ask that you would help us to be a people this morning who fully understand what it means to live in expectation of your second coming. And that, Lord, we would be a people who surrender ourselves to love, to live, to live, Lord, just to, to give you all that we have. Knowing, Lord, that we, we've got what we've got today simply because you've loaned it to us. Lord, help us as your people to be faithful followers who are willing to give to you all that you've blessed us with so that in the end, you and only you might receive all the glory and honor and praise. Lord, we love you. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Matthew chapter 25 is one of those places in the scripture where it actually falls in the second part of what we call the Olivet Discourse, where, where, D, where Jesus teaches about his certain second coming. So you've you got to understand the context. And really there's a lot, there's other parables that, that precede and, and follow this, this parable here. But, but this parable in particular is unique because, because it focuses primarily not just on the, the second coming of the Lord, but, but even more so how we are to live now in expectation of the second coming of the Messiah. There, there's, a, there's something that you and I are responsible for for doing while we wait for Jesus to come again. Jesus begins to speak of servants here entrusted with with varying amounts of what the scriptures call a talent. Now, I wanted to make sure that I put this kind of in perspective, understanding what a talent is. A a talent was was a a weight of, of money that was used in that day and time. It was a very large sum of money. One talent typically of silver, was worth about 20 years of a, of a regular, a, a day laborer's wages. So one talent is worth about 20 years. So you take the five talents and you want to put that in today's terms, roughly five talents in that day, what it would be translated to today would be about $2 million. What are we talking about here? We're talking about a large sum of money. We're talking about something that is very significant. 
this master is about to go on a journey. And as he prepares to go on a journey, he says, you know what? I'm going to make sure that my work continues on while I'm gone. So, so as I'm leaving, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take my, my worth, my value, and I'm going to share it with my servants so that, so that it, they can use it to glorify me. Oftentimes when people read this story, we think that this is just of, of a master who says, I'm going to give you this and it's for you and, and, and you use it as you please for your own praise. And, and, then, and then, yeah, when we come back, we can settle up then. No, 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 no. This, was, this talent was given to them on loan. It wasn't theirs at all. Understand that these servants were called to be faithful stewards of what, of what the master was offering them. It was still the master's. It still belonged to the master. But the master was giving it to them on loan so that while he was gone, his, his kingdom could continue to expand. Are we, are we getting it now? The master gave these servants extremely large amounts of money and said, while I'm gone, you work for me. And when I come back, we'll settle up then. That's the picture that we see in Matthew chapter 25. The lesson at the outset is very clear, right? Jesus is our master who gives us all that we have. We are his stewards Responsible for being wise with everything that he entrusts to us. So, so to really understand what's happening here, then we, then we have to begin to look at these servants. Because what Jesus does is he, is he breaks these servants up really into, into two categories. You've got the faithful and the unfaithful. You've got the faithful servant, servants, and the unfaithful servant. Now can I just ask a, a question really quick? Which do you want to be? The faithful servant or the unfaithful servant? Oh, mercy. We got a few who want to be faithful. Let me ask that one more time. Which do you want to be? The faithful servant or the unfaithful servant? Faithful. Certainly, we as God's people want to be his faithful servants. Well, then, what does that mean? What does that look like? Knowing that in this context of Scripture, Jesus is saying, I'm leaving, but I promise you, you can can bank on it. I am coming back. So while I'm gone, I'm going to give you what belongs to me, and you're going to use it for my glory. So that when I return or when I call you home, what you can hear from me is, well done, good and faithful servant. So what does it look like then in this life right now for us to live a life of faithfulness so that, so that in the end we can hear Jesus say those words? We see it in this picture, right? These faithful servants, they took their talents and they put them to work for their Lord. They, they were faithful with a few things, so the Lord trusted them with many things. They were faithful with, with, what, with what he had given them. Now, it was a lot. It was a whole lot. He gave to them in varying ways, but, but, but what he gave to them, he said, here, use it for my glory. And these servants immediately went to work. They immediately invested. They immediately plowed the ground. They immediately, what, what, they, they immediately started working for their master and not for themselves. They put their manner to work, and ultimately they received their reward. What was their reward? Did you notice it there? What, what was the reward that these, master, that these servants received? Look at verse 21. I hear you saying it. 
His master said to them, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. Look at verse 23. His master said to him, the one who, gave, who had two and then multiplied to four. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. These were servants who had a true, deep, meaningful, and real relationship with their master. They, hear me, these were the servants who knew their master. These were the servants who knew that their master was loving. These were the servants who knew that their master was giving them something that they did not deserve. These were the ones who knew that their master was a good and decent and honest man who was willing to share with them so that they could use it for his glory and that when he returned, he said, here you go, master, this is what I've got for you in return. And the master says, good job. Now let me multiply your blessings even more, even fourfold. These were the servants who truly knew their master. These are the ones who, who worked and toiled and as a result, they entered into their master's joy. Their faithfulness, hear me church, don't run past this. Their faithfulness gave them a capacity for greater service and responsibility. When it comes to the kingdom of God, their faithfulness is what brought God's blessings upon them even more so. Beyond their relationship. Their faithfulness is what gave them more responsibility in God's kingdom. That was the faithful servants. The unfaithful servant, not so much. Right? This unfaithful servant, what does he do? He literally, he hides his talent. He buries his talent. The master leaves. He takes the talent and he hides it in the ground. And instead of using his opportunities, he buried them. Now understand this, by doing that, you say by doing what? By doing nothing. You get it? By doing nothing, this servant committed sin and ultimately robbed his master of his increase. Understand what's happening here, church. Oftentimes when we talk about sin, we think about sin, we may not always use this language, but we think about sin as sin of commission, a sin of commission is, look, I know this is sin, yet I'm going to do it anyways. I'm going to choose to do this even though I know that it's wrong. That's sin, and I'm, and I'm choosing to do it. That's oftentimes when we think of sin, that's what we think about. Did you know there's also a thing called the sin of omission? Not doing what we know we should do. We don't think about sin in those terms very often. Did you know that it is actually sinful for us as believers not to be witnesses for the glory of God? Huh. What? The last command that Jesus gave to his followers. Go, therefore. Actually, the, the imperative there is not even go. It, it's, it's assumed in the original language. It says, having gone, since I know you're already going... The imperative is make disciples. Having gone, what your job is to do now is to make disciples. Before Jesus left, he said, I've got one more job for you, church. It's to make 
disciples. How do we do that? We lead people to Jesus and we help them become more like Jesus. It's evangelism and discipleship. When we talk about the Great Commission, sometimes people want to pit one against the other. As a church, we've got to be focused on the Great Commission, making disciples, evangelism and discipleship. And when we're not doing that as a church and when we're not doing that as a whole, hear me, come in here real close. We don't like to hear this, but it's sin. It's sin in the life of the body. It's sin in the life of the church as a whole. It's sin in our lives as individuals. That's just one example, church. This servant, by not doing anything, by doing nothing, by not doing what his master commanded him to do, committed sin and robbed his master of his master's deserving glory and honor. He was unfaithful. And as a result, he was unrewarded. It says here in the text, because he was afraid, he really never tried to succeed. We, we oftentimes, scholars have debated, what, what was it that he was really fearful of? Now it says here, the master or the servant says that he was fearful of his master. Right? It says that he's fearful of his master, but, but really when you think about it, if he, if he truly knew his master, he would have nothing to fear. Because he would understand that I'm not deserving of the gift my master's given me in the first place. My, my, if, if I really had a personal relationship with my master, then, then I would understand that I, didn't re, I don't deserve the relationship, nor do I deserve the investment he's making in my life. Then the, the fear here really was not of his master, even though that's what the servant said. We can say it this way. The servant was a liar. His fear was of his responsibility. His fear was of what it meant for, for him. His fear was, was that, it would, that it would take attention away from himself and, and give it back to his master. He was, I mean, the scripture's clear. He was fearful because he was selfish. He was a liar. He was dishonest. The master clearly calls him lazy and self-centered. Don't, don't rush past this church. Don't miss this truth. In verse 24, look at it again. It tells us the unfaithful servant refers to the master as a harsh man who unjustly expects to gather where he hasn't sown. What's missing in this picture? Do you see that there's no joy from a relationship? Was, was it the fault of the master that there was no relationship with the servant? Let me ask that again. Was it the fault of the master that there was no relationship with the servant? The answer is clearly no. The master was willing to give to this servant. The master was willing to, to offer to this servant. The master was willing to say, look, while I'm gone, I'm giving you something that's precious. It's not a burden. It's, it's not something that you should regret. It's not something that you should live in fear of. The master says, I'm giving you something that can bring you joy. I'm giving you something that can bring you life. I'm giving you something that you don't deserve. Was it the master's fault that there was no joy in this relationship? Absolutely not. There was fear and anxiety and 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 distrust in this relationship because of the unfaithful servant. 
The unfaithful servant wanted to play it safe and protect himself from a master that ultimately he didn't trust. He actually then blamed the master. You get what he's doing here, right? The servant is blaming the master for his own lack of responsibility. He says, I didn't do what you asked me to do because I know you. Really? What's the deal with the first two? They apparently know him. And and with joy in their hearts, they set to the task and and fulfilling what the master's given them as a responsibility. And and, and as they do it with hearts of joy, they come back to him and and they're excited. Do you notice what's happening there in in their lives when the master comes back? They, They joyfully come to him and say, look, master, look what I did for you. They adored him. They loved him. They longed to know him more intimately. And the master said, well done. Share my joy. The one person who claims to know the master here is the liar and the deceiver. I know you, master, because you're harsh, because you're not fair. I knew that what I needed to do was take my talent. I know I needed to bury it because you're a hard man to deal with. And, and I knew that you were coming back. So when you came back, I just wanted to say, here, this is what you gave me. This is what you get back in return. It's yours. Just now, now let me be done with you. Hear me. Understand what's happening here, church. This parable gets to the heart of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. This parable gets to the heart of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Roughly 2,000 years ago, God sent his son Jesus to walk this earth. He lived a perfect life. He did not sin. Yet ultimately... He was led to a cross. He was deserving of life. He was deserving of all praise. He was the one to whom all honor and glory is due. And just before he left, at a moment like the Lord's Supper, he said, guys, come in here real close. You've got to understand I'm about to leave. My body is going to be nailed to a cross. My blood is going to be shed for you. Understand that I'm sacrificing on your behalf so that, so that your wrongs can be forgiven, so that you can have a, a joyful and meaning and deep and intimate relationship with the Lord God Almighty. You can't do it on your own. You've got to understand that what I have is of greatest value in this world. I'm going to offer myself in your place. So, so understand, hear me, men. Hear me, women. Understand that, that I'm giving you what you don't deserve. As I'm gone, after the sacrifice of Christ, he arose and walked with his disciples for 40 days, began to promise them of a, of a helper that was coming. That's when you go back to the book of Acts, where we were last week. That helper being the promise of the Holy Spirit. So as soon as Jesus ascended to the heavens, right there, very soon afterwards, the promised helper came and dwelt amongst his people. Hear me, church, this is the point of the parable. You and I have something that is of eternal value. 
You and I have a, have a master who loves us. You and I have a master who has is, who is departed from this place for a short time and, and he's coming again. And while he's departed, he has said, hear me, I'm giving you what you don't deserve. Not just a relationship. That is most important. I'm, I'm giving you a, a, an opportunity to, to know me and to love me and, and to walk with me. But I'm, but I'm also giving you the promise of the Holy Spirit so that you can use your gifts and your talents and your time and your effort you can use it for my glory now get busy get busy I'm coming again and when I come one of these days you're going to share in my joy and my glory forever and ever amen church that's the picture of this story that Jesus is sharing it gets to the heart of the gospel you and I can do nothing to deserve salvation. You and I can do nothing to, to earn a relationship with God, but Christ died in our place. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, today is the day. He is coming again. It could be in an hour. It could be in two hours. It could be tomorrow. It could be next week. It could be a year from now. It could be hundreds of years from now. I have no idea, but I know this is true. I know this is certain. He's coming again. So what do we do? If you're here this morning, you've never trusted in Christ. Today is the day. Repent of your sins. Confess your sins. Trust in Jesus Christ as the master who wants to know you and give you all joy. Surrender your life to him. But this parable is written more so to the church. So what is it that we see today then? See, this parable highlights the variety of giftings and abilities in different people, enabling us to manage all the responsibilities God's given us for His glory. There's been people who've read this and say, you know what? It's not fair that God gave one man or this master. It's not fair that this master gave one man five talents, one man two, and one man one. It's not fair. Look, let's not go down that road. What's not fair is that we have a relationship in the first place. Our sins are deserving of eternal damnation in hell. Our sins are deserving that we are the ones who go to a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth forever and ever. Uh, that's what's not fair. So let, let's take that one off the board. He... he he has a relationship with us. And listen, God chooses to gift. God chooses to give gifts of, of, of blessing. God chooses to gift here, even more so what we see, the, our, our spiritual gifts. God chooses to give to us as he sees fit. I don't know why he does it the way he does it. I don't know how he chooses it. That, that's not for me to know. But what I know is this, that he gives to each one as he sees their responsibility grow. This, this is, I'm giving it to you because I know that you can use it for my glory is what God says. So instead of looking at the person who has five and looking at the person who has two, what we should do is look back to the master and just say, thank you. Thank you, master. Now, regardless if I have five, two, one, it doesn't matter. I'm going to use it for your glory. We've been assigned our positions. We've been assigned our ministries in life 
according to the abilities and gifts that God has given us. I don't fully understand it, but I just give God glory for it. It it, it also, this parable reveals to us that we're responsible to be 100% faithful with everything that we're given by God. Let's take this language of talent and let's break it down. I'll just be honest, I don't have $2 million laying around anywhere. Never will in my life, I feel certain. Sometimes we think about it, it's like, what's going on here? Understand that this picture of the talent, if we want to put it in our language today, what, what, what the master has given to us is our time, our resources, our treasures, our spiritual gifts. Let me put it this way. Everything that we have, every dime that's in our bank account or not, every, every, every ability that we have, every talent, our, our homes, our vehicles, our jobs, our, everything that we have, our families. When I say everything, that's what I mean. So everybody say it with me. Everything. Everything that we have, everything that we have is what this talent is in our life. So the question is, how are you using your time, your resources, your treasures, and your spiritual gifts to serve your master? But in particular, how are you using it to serve the body of Christ? And to get really particular, how are you using it to serve First Baptist New Orleans? That, that, that's, that, this, is where we, this is where we invest our lives. This is, as the body of Christ, we come together and, and we use our spiritual gifts. We use our talents. We use our monies. Whatever it is, we use it for the glory of God. The Scriptures tell us that when the Holy Spirit comes and entrusts to us the spiritual gifts that God has deemed for us to have, whether it's one, two, five, whatever, again, that He gives it to us for two reasons. The edification of the church. What's that mean? For the building up of the church. But also he gives it to us for the evangelization of the lost. As believers, God has given us all that he's entrusted to us so that we can be good stewards. They're they're his. It belongs to him. But we use it to build up the church and to reach the lost and bring them into the church. How are you doing that? Understand the scriptures are clear. Jesus is coming again. So the challenge today is to take all that he's given to you and use it for his glory. You take this parable and you go back to Acts chapter 2 and it really makes it, it helps it to make sense, doesn't it? That that whatever it is in your life, whatever, God has called us to offer him all that we have. and, And the best way to do it is to is to love and to serve each other in the body of Christ as we reach beyond these walls, reaching out to the lost world around us. As believers, we must live continually in faith-filled obedience while investing everything that we have for God's kingdom and His glory. That's the challenge today. So when we think about Matthew chapter 25... Ultimately, I hope you remember who your master is. He is Jesus. And indeed, he is returning. He desires to have a personal relationship with each one of us. 
He desires to walk with us deeply and intimately. He desires for us to experience all of his joy. He wants us to be co-heirs with him. Somebody better give me an amen. He wants us to share in his glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, thank you, Jesus. So what are you doing for him now? Again, I'm walking the fine line. I'm not saying we do anything to earn it. I'm not saying we do anything to deserve it. I'm not saying that we can do anything to keep it. God's not an Indian giver. The point of the parable is, if we're truly walking with the Lord, we know that he's given us more than we deserve. So then we just desire, God, I, I, I want to give you all that I have. I want to live for you. I, I want to give you my life. Lord, I'm giving you my life as a blank check. Send me wherever you want to send me. Lead me and, and wherever you want to lead me. and Use me however you want to use me. God, I'm giving you my life. I'm giving you my life here in this church. I'm giving you my life in, the, in my community. I'm giving you my life in my job. Lord, whatever it is, God, use me up for your glory. And when we get that church, when we get to that point, that we do it just because we want to experience our joy in him. Hear me, that's when we know for certain that one of these days when Jesus comes again or if he calls us home before he returns, he's going to look at you and he's going to look at me and listen to me. I can't wait for the day for my master to say, Bo, well done. Well done, son. You did it. Not for yourself, not for a pat on your back, not that anybody would ever remember your name, but you did it for my glory. Well done, good and faithful servant. First Baptist New Orleans. Let's be faithful servants. Let's be faithful servants, not living in fear, but living in expectation of joy. Let's not be unfaithful. Would you pray with me? Loving Heavenly Father, we ask that you now would continue to move in our lives. Lord, as we enter into this time of commitment, I pray that you would continue to work. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who's never trusted in you, Lord, I ask right now that you would speak to their hearts. They would know that today is the day. Today is the day that they are called to surrender their lives to Christ. Help them to understand the sacrifice you made on their behalf. Lord, right now, through the power of the Holy Spirit, speak to their hearts. Help them to see that there is salvation in Christ and in Christ alone, and he freely offers salvation if they'll simply turn from their sins, trust in Christ as Savior and Lord. Lord, I also ask, though, that as we really think about Matthew 25, that we as your church, as your people, as your servants, that, Lord, we would understand what it means to be faithful servants. Lord, taking all that you've given us, taking every aspect of our lives, and, Lord, just being willing to give it back to you. Lord, to work hard, diligently, laboring, not doing it begrudgingly, not doing it out of fear, not doing it out of anxiety, but Lord, we're doing it just simply because we've experienced you and your joy and 
what it means to have a relationship with you. Give us a burning desire to be faithful, humble servants who willingly submit our lives to you fully and completely. I pray that for each individual here who who already trust in Christ. I pray that for First Baptist New Orleans, that Lord, you would remind us of how we, as your church, even in this moment that seems to be uncertain, Lord, we could just continue to be faithful, to give you our lives, to give you our all, so that in the end, you and only you receive all the glory and honor and praise. Lord, speak to our hearts now. Do a fresh work in us. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord.